0: Last Monday, some of you may have been watching uh, Monday Night Football and you saw Damar Hamlin collapse on the football field. Um, Breakpoints uh, put this out when Buffalo Bills safety Damar Hamlin collapsed on the field Monday. Several sports analysts called it the scariest scene they'd ever seen on a football field. And Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest after a routine tackle and remains in critical condition. But a footnote to that, he's improving um, in a big way. Um, ESPN analyst Dan Orlovsky knew what to do when he didn't know what else to do. And appearing on NFL Live Tuesday morning, he said, maybe this is not the right thing to do, but it's just on my heart, and I just want to pray for Damar Hamlin right now. I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head, and I'm just going to pray for him. After praying for healing and comfort for Damar, Orlovsky closed with, if we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up Damar Hamlin's name in your name. And to that, we can all say amen. Just a footnote, Orlovsky, by the way, isn't ashamed about his faith. His Twitter bio describes himself as a follower of Jesus. He can be seen wearing a Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 wristband, which reads, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead none on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Damar Hamlin put out this Instagram yesterday The love has been overwhelming, but I'm thankful for every single person that prayed for me and reached out. On a long road, keep praying for me. So we live in America. And I don't know about you, but when I saw the Buffalo Bills team and Cincinnati team get together and join arms, kneeling and praying, that did something for me. Uh, That was really, to me, I think it was encouraging when we see everything when it comes to spiritual things getting vacuumed out of our culture, and God's not allowed to be anywhere. And yet when a tragedy like that happens, people come together and they know what to do, and they pray. And I think as followers of Jesus Christ, man, we, we have that same privilege, don't we? Uh, just like Arlovsky did on, on national television. Man, he says, I believe in prayer, and we're going to pray right now. Uh, as a follower of Christ, we can do that. And, and when you're in situations, and whatever it may be, the Lord can use you as you encourage whoever it might be, hey, can I pray for you? Because I believe prayer works. So, um, man, I thought that was a bright light in the Really, a, a, a dark time. God used it for his glory. And he's continuing to work into Mars' body, and uh, we're grateful for that. So, yeah, just a shout out to the Lord, man. The Lord is good. So, so. You have your outline in front of you and uh the new year plan to grow we're going to continue on. Um Craig Rochelle, pastor's life church in Oklahoma City, and he talks about a time when he was flying home and uh from an event and there were two different flights before, you know, before he would land in his hometown. And uh, you know, he just kind of talks about the uh you know, Interesting conversations you can have on an airplane next to people that you've never met before. Some of you that have flown, you've kind of experienced that. And he said on a trip, um, before reaching my destination, my first flight, I sat next to Travis, not Travis, but another Travis. Uh, He's middle-aged, married to a father of two, who was headed home from an unsuccessful business trip. On my next flight, I sat next to Michelle, a young grad student, starting her summer break. Both were tired. Both were anxious to get home. And both of them were atheists, though very different kinds. Travis was like most atheists. He denied the existence of God altogether. He didn't pray, didn't read the Bible, didn't attend church. After bantering a while, Travis snapped out of his tirade with me. Almost as to offer a truce. And this is what he said. Well, if there is an eternity, I'm sure you'll be in good shape since you're a pastor. And I'm guessing I'll come out as good as most people. On the second flight, Michelle was an entirely different kind of atheist. He said, I'll call her a Christian atheist because Christian atheists are everywhere. They attend all kinds of churches. They are every age, race. occupation. Some even read their Bibles occasionally. Christian atheists look a lot like Christians, but they live a lot like Travis. Michelle was nervous about flying. She described her difficulties with balancing her checkbook and handling her divorced parents and her live-in boyfriend, who's scared to death of marriage, by the way. During the conversation, Michelle started asking me what about my life, and after some small talk, Michelle asked what I did for a living, and I said, I'm a pastor of a church. This revelation gave Michelle permission to unleash a stream of Christian words and stories, dropping the occasional, God told me, and God is good. She smiled as she described how she gave her life to Jesus at the age of 15, After she had attended a summer camp, she put her faith in Christ and she looked forward to going back to school where she could tell her friends about Jesus. Michelle held on to her new belief in God, but over time slipped back into her old way of living. Michelle continued to talk about her darker details of her life. She looked down as she admitted that she was living with her boyfriend She told me she wanted to go to church, but she was simply too busy working and studying. She did pray many nights, mostly that her boyfriend would become a Christian like she was. If only he believed in Jesus, then he might want to marry me, she said, wiping her tears. At last, Michelle expressed one final confession. I know my life doesn't look like a Christian life should look, but I do believe in God. And Craig concludes, welcome to Christian atheism, where people believe in God, but live as if he doesn't exist. Sadly, Christian atheism is everywhere. And he says there has to be a better way to live. I believe so. When you look at the... Average Christian in America, uh, many would fall in line with uh, being a Christian atheist, like we just heard about. And what's cool about next Sunday, man, when, when uh, Titus comes and talks about uh, archaeology and the proof that we have in God's Word, the credibility of it, friends, where everything about the Bible and Christianity is being undermined and questioned in our culture today. That's why we we endeavor to bring in authorities who can talk from experience and encourage you and I to know that what we're believing in, what we're basing our life on, it's true. And we can count on it. In fact, we can die for it if necessary. So, this morning we dive into the book of Colossians and... Uh, we'll pick it up, Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 6. And if you have your Bible, man, open it up and read it. And yeah, yeah, I get it. Uh, the verses are in on your notes and outline, but there's something cool about reading your Bible. And now, just as you ex- accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority. What does that mean? He's the head over every ruler and authority. Does every mean every or does it mean some things? That's the question you've got to ask yourself when you read the Bible. Why is every in that verse? Every's there because it's telling you that you can trust that Jesus Christ is the head over every ruler and authority. You can count on it, which we do. So, Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. And as we read it, the life transformation that can take place, that's an incredible thing. Man, Lord, to read your word and to be changed from the inside out. We're grateful for that. And yes, we're on the front end of a new year, and this is the time where we can make decisions for or against you, Lord. We pray that every person watching in this auditorium today would really have an encounter with you. That's why we're here. We're trusting you, God, to do a good work, that we, at the end of the day, would become more like you. We thank you, Lord, that you have an incredible amount of love for each one of us. And there's people watching in here today that will question that because they think they've messed up. They've made too many mistakes. But we're grateful for your grace, your forgiveness. Make yourself real to them in a very personal way. In Jesus' name, amen. In this text, we hit this a little bit last Sunday, Paul never went to Colossae. You can look at a map, and um, um, boom, 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 Colossae, boom, right over there by Turkey. That's modern-day Turkey. Um, I'll get right in front of it. There. Everybody's good? See Rome up in the upper left, that's where Paul's writing this letter, even though he never went to that church. It was planted by uh, by people that had been impacted by Paul's ministry. And so they felt like God led them to Colossae, and they planted this church, and cool things were happening. And so Paul had heard some, uh, some news that there were false teachers, that there was loopy teaching going on that was trying to get into the church. And he had heard good things about the church, their faithfulness, their consistency, and he's kind of setting up a, a red flare to them to be aware of what's out there and to keep their eyes open. So that's where Paul's at. And uh, he's saying to the church, hey, don't give in to loopy teaching. Everybody good with that? Yeah? Yeah, let's not give in to loopy teaching. And believe me, there's a lot of it out there today. So number one, choose to grow. We hit this last week. We'll touch it briefly. And now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. That's another good English word, must. Is must in there on purpose or just for fun? That's the question you've got to ask yourself. Why is must in there? Must is a command, by the way, in the Greek. It means you must. Whether you feel like it or not, you must continue to follow him. Christ, you must. You must. At Life Church, we've got uh, We believe there are seven primary growth markers, and in 2023, if you're part of Life Church, these should be showing up on your radar screen. One, Bible engagement, reading your Bible, and um, you know we've got we you know the one year Bible, uh, the CR code right here. Boom, these are at Guest Central. You can download it, U version, or we have a hard copy of a Bible reading plan and uh, dig into it, because reading the Bible, and I'm, I'll get into this a little bit later, man, just, I read some stuff last week, and it, it just kind of popped out, you know, and it's cool, you know, that God's Word is always teaching, and growing, and challenging us. So Bible engagement, passionate prayer, man, talking to God, listening to God, and even tonight at Transform, praying with one another. Hey, the Packers play at 720. You know what that means? <laughs> most, most of that time from 720 to 730 is all commercials anyway. So So come on out tonight, man. Yeah, come on out tonight. And it's an hour and you won't regret it. And the Packers will wait for you, by the way. They'll, they'll wait for you. So wholehearted worship, developing hearts. Man, wh- to worship. To tell God how great he is. It's so cool to be able to do that. And instead of being a spectator, you become engaged and you open your mouth and push the diaphragm and you put your eyes on Christ and worship Humble service. Man, we got a lot of good folks like that running around here. Uh, we're grateful. Joyful generosity, being generous in your giving, and tithing, et cetera, man. It's God's money, and I'm going I'm to honor him because he owns it all. Consistent community. Here it is. We hit this last week pretty hard. <laughs> Some of the guys felt bruised afterwards, you know? Because we we were kind of targeting them, but ultimately, the spiritual responsibility of your family, gentlemen, falls on you. And you need to be committed in 2023 that you're going to be in church, not whenever you feel like it or when it works out for your schedule, but you're going to be there consistently because you're building that into your and to your wife and to your children. They need to see that in you, that dad, he loves God. I see it, man. I see him reading his Bible at home. I see how he treats my mom. And so I want to challenge you again quickly to, uh, to step up to that. Consistent community, organic outreach, sharing the good news of Jesus and the flow of normal life. Man, just letting your light shine, just like Orlovsky did, man, on, on national television. So we don't get to pick and choose which one of these seven we're going to grab onto and let go. All seven are imperative for our spiritual growth, great markers for spiritual maturation. So let's do it together. Um, and then Paul goes on to say, you know, Christ, follow him um, uh, as you have accepted him as your Lord, and, and we'll do that. Paul's telling us to press on, basically, to choose to grow, um, to finish strong. You must continue to follow him, and that verb means continuous action. Continuous, you know, you can't say, well, I've done this for five years and I'm going to take a sabbatical. can't do that. There is no sabbatical. There's no vacation. Because this is a lifestyle, right? And uh, does, the, does Satan take a vacation? Does he take a sabbatical? No, no. And, and God never sleeps and he never slumbers. And he's praying for you. We heard that Wednesday night. Because he loves you. And um, we, we want to live for him. Mark Batterson wrote, show me your habits, I'll show you your future. And that's where it comes down to a daily habit of reading the Bible, getting into that routine, you know, spending time with the Lord. You'll, you'll never regret it. And um, so follow to maintain a certain walk of life and conduct. We're going to follow after the Lord. That's what Jesus' followers do. They follow the Lord. Did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus' followers follow the Lord. And to follow means to, to model the character, the attributes of the person you're following. So um, I've, I've, I've mentioned this before, but how much easier is it when you're traveling in a group and the person in front of you in their car, they know exactly where they're going? And you don't have to think about it. You know, it's a place where you've never been before, and all the ins and outs of this trip. You could just sit at the wheel and follow. Isn't that fun to follow? Where the person knows where they're going, I've followed people where they don't know where they're going. <laughs> and man, is that ever frustrating. Holy smoke. So, so a footnote to that is we have to be careful who we're following. Right? Right? Young people, you got to choose your friends wisely. And we adults need to do the same thing. Is that right? We need to be wise. So, to follow. So how do we continue to follow Christ? Paul writes, dig deep. Look at verse 7a. Let your roots go down deep into him. That's the first thing. Uh, we know that um, do roots rebel no, uh, they can, they can. Here's the deal. When you, when you plant um, a tree and you don't water it, um, th- those roots don't go down until you get some water in there, and then you start training those roots to go down, 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 and they keep going down even in those dry times when we don't have rain in Wisconsin. Because those roots have gone down so deep over the years, they're able to tap in and sustain themselves. And so it's important, friends, that we consistently read the Bible and spend time together so our roots go down deep into the love of God. And when those storms of life come, they won't rip us apart Ephesians three seventeen. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. God's love is right here. When you put your faith in Christ, he moved in. It says Christ will make his home in your hearts. He brought his furniture in—his refrigerator, his coffee maker. He's made his home in your heart, and so and so. Uh, because of that, his love is in there, and you whew, let those roots go down deep. Not not kind of the stop, start, stop, start stuff, you know, the roller coaster Christian relationship. You're good, you're bad, you're good, you're bad. Listen, let your roots go down deep. That's the natural thing for those roots to do anyway. And that's a complete dependence on the Lord. Number two, built up, 7B, and let your lives be built on Him. On Christ the solid rock I stand. Put that in your notes. uh, um, Yeah, on Christ the solid rock. Let your lives be built on him. So what Paul is doing, he's using imagery here. It pictures a building under construction, kind of like this. Um, That's what our building is going to look like in about two weeks uh, to the east. Um, It's a building under construction. There's there's stuff happening. There's progress that's being made. You know, the walls go up, the roof goes on. And how many of you know when it comes to construction, there's times when you don't see anything going on? But there is. Because some of you may not have known the last couple weeks, we've had electricians in here that have terrorized the wiring and put it back together better than it was. It needed help. And so you didn't didn't see the results of that because all the wiring's overhead hidden. But there was stuff going on. And there's times God is working in your lives and maybe it's not so obvious to you, but he's always working. And you'll be put in a situation where you look back and say, wow, God has been working because I would have responded, reacted differently to my old self. And it's evidence of that Constant work that God is doing. So, being built up and being built up, let your lives be built on Him. That's a good word. So, how does it? How does built up look like? Let's uh, let's drill down and put some faces on that. We're going to go to the next chapter in Colossians, Colossians chapter three, and it's uh, point A in your notes you're going to attack sin. To be built up in Christ, we need to attack sin in our life. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. I have lurking underlined in my notes here. Because what comes to mind when you hear the word lurking? Huh? Sharks? Shark lurking! You know? You're in the ocean and there's a shark lurking. Kind of creepy, isn't it? Lurking. Lurking. Lurking within you. Because of these sins, uh huh, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. You used to do these things. That's past tense, by the way. You used to do those things when your life was still part of this world, but now you're not part of the world. And Paul is saying, Listen, you cannot cannot keep sin hanging around your life. You can't expect to grow in 2023 and have all these sin habits or sin controlling your life. It will thwart your growth with Christ. It's pouring water onto the fire. And you want to add wood to the fire in 2023, right? Spiritual wood. Keep the fire burning. So Paul's describing believers in Colossae as having died with Christ and having been raised with him. But the fact of the matter is, how many of you know, as long as you're breathing, temptation is always knocking on your door, right? It always is. I mean, I, in Matthew 4, Jesus you know, was baptized, all fired up, and, and then he goes into the, into the desert, and tempted by Satan. So what happens? Satan is always looking for an opportunity to thwart what God is doing in our lives. And we have to rely on God's power. What That anger of God, that might throw some of you off. You might think, God's ticked off, you know? He's got a bad temper. No, no, no. What, what that means is that occurs really from natural consequences. When people disobey God, when they have sin in their life, there are consequences for sin. And God loves you so much, he doesn't want you to go through that pain or whatever the case may be. But sin has consequences. And we have to be reminded of that. And then what that also means that the anger of God is coming, that's Judgment Day, when every person you know, will stand before God and be judged. And um, I'm so glad I don't have to worry about that day. Huh? Yeah, man. I don't have to worry about it. Jesus has forgiven me. I'm pursuing him. And what a day that's going to be when we see him face to face. So what Paul is saying, as a follower of Christ, don't live today as you did in the past, pre-Christ. That shouldn't be happening. You've died, you've been raised with Christ, that evidence should be shown in the way you live your life. Put to death, Um, pretty strong term Paul uses here, it's decisive action, it's mortify it, do it now, do it resolutely. Um, that's that's uh, a building being imploded because it's not going to be there anymore. <laughs> and Paul is saying you need to implode the sin in your life. Don't be friendly with sin. You have to be ruthless with it. Because it likes to snuggle up, you know. Kind of like your cat. You know, cuddle me, cuddle me. I need some love, you know. Well, listen, the enemy is so slick, and he'll he'll want to cozy up and rationalize with you why you need to let this sin into your life. But Paul is saying, man, don't mess with it. Don't mess with it. Put to death. That means discard Sin, it means to do it resolutely. It means to make it dead. Um, Sometimes people think, well, you know, with sin we just need to suppress it, put a lid on it. You know, whenever that temptation comes, I can take the lid off and have another cookie. Well, that's not what Paul is writing about here. Um, We need to wipe this sin out, exterminate it. When I, when I read that word exterminate, what came to mind? See it on the screen. Right? Oh, yes. Those lovely mice running around. Hey, do you, do you, when you, at your house, do you like, um, you put cheese out but no trap for the mice? You feed the mice because you like them so much? Is that what you do? Little micey-micey, you know? No, you don't do that. You get this dude involved, you know? This guy, the exterminator, the official, ex- man, I want to get rid of all the mice. How about you? That's my goal in life, get rid of all the mice in my house. <laughs> that is what Paul is saying, to get the exterminator in your life and exterminate all the sin that's messing around with you. Get rid of it. Don't be friends with it. Um, Genesis 4, 7, but if you refuse to do what is right, Cain, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. That was good counsel from the Lord, wasn't it? And... Cain did not listen to what God was saying there. So we need to watch out, be alert, because sin is crouching at our door. B, avoid and get rid of sin. Paul continues, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. But now is the time, interesting word, now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. A little girl was having a conversation with her mom, and she said, I like Santa, Mom, better than Jesus, because you have to be good for Santa only at Christmas. But for Jesus, you have to be good all the time. Do you know there's a lot of adults running around with that kind of mindset? Hmm? It's kind of like being good. You know, are you on the good list? I don't have a list. I have to tell—I don't have a list because that list has been burned when I put my faith in Christ. Trying to be good enough, you know, trying harder, but when you put your faith in Christ, Christ lives in you. And he is allowed when we allow him to live through us, it takes all the pressure off. I know he loves me. That love consumes me, so therefore I'm loving him, I'm pursuing him out of love. So there's no there's no do good lists, you know. It's out of love. It's powerful. It's powerful. Paul is saying, don't have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. When you look in this list, there's two different lists that Paul writes. The first five refer to sexual sin. The second five are sins of speech. Listen, friends. Um, when you hit your thumb with a hammer, what comes out of your mouth? It's a good test. So what you could do is this afternoon, put your thumb in a vice and get a hammer out and hit it and see what happens. That's a good test, right? It's a good test. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, I, I, I've said this before, but you I, I grew up in my, I never heard my dad swear once. Never. And he had opportunities. That was a model for me. Taste your words before they come out of your mouth. Because you're living for the Lord. People are listening. People are watching. And um, so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6:18, run from sexual sin, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does, For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. When you look at Joseph in Genesis 39, where he ran from Potiphar's wife, where she was pursuing him, and that's what Paul is saying, run from it. Don't don't mess with it. Don't flirt with it. Job 31, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. So the Bible celebrates now think about this. God was the one that created sex. He invented it, created it. But he put, a, he put boundaries around it. So a man and a woman come together as husband and wife, and they celebrate that marriage covenant with a sexual union, the two becoming one. Beautiful picture. And that's the way God wants that. He desires that. Why? Because that's his best gift. It's a gift. And our world, of course, has told us that no, that's old-fashioned, and and um, you know, the Bible is out of date. It's out of touch with reality. So Paul says, "Come on, when you do it your way, it's gonna it's gonna keep your heart away from the Lord. It will. It's gonna stymie your spiritual growth." And then Paul says, uh, "Get rid of, to get off, to put off. It's like changing clothes." Um, you take the old filthy clothes off and you put your new, you know, your clean clothes on. That's kind of the imagery, get rid of. You take off that old, what you used to do and put on the new, that's the righteousness of Christ, that robe of righteousness. So get rid of, you know, the anger, rage, malicious behavior, etc. Jonathan Edwards, the third president of Princeton had a daughter with a bad temper. She only lost it at home. Uh huh. Not outside her family. Uh, so the young man fell in love with her and asked Jonathan to marry her, and he said, you can't have her. And the young man said, but I love her. And Edward said again, you can't have her. And the young man said, but she loves me too. And then again, Edward says, you can't have her. And finally, the man says, why? Because she is not... Why not, asked the young man. And Edward said, because she's not worthy of you. But, he asked, is she a Christian? Edward said, yeah, she's she's a Christian, but the grace of God can live with some people with whom no one else could ever live. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Do You think she... Ask God to take her temper, work on that part of her life? I think so. I think that was a motivation for her. Lord, help me model you. See, be like Jesus, chapter 3, 10, and 11. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. little footnote there, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Isn't that, I love that. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you are, or, or your background, or whatever you came from, man. When you put your faith in Christ, boom, he comes in. He lives in all of us. So be renewed as you learn to know your creator. Learn to know your creator. And become like. How do you learn to know your creator? You, get, you read his word. Man, you get to know him. And you become like him. That's why Romans 12, 2, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So you put on that new nature. And um, what Paul is saying is, <clears throat> you know, you find it interesting. You think when you put your faith in Christ, everything's going to be rosy in front of you. God paves the way in front. You know, he opens your Bible for you in the morning. He's, he makes the coffee before you get out of bed. It's on the table, boom. No, you have to do that, right? that That's our responsibility to to put on those new clothes that Paul writes, put on your new nature and uh, and to become like him there's a cartoon of a few ladies in a in a Bible study, and one of them was speaking well she said i haven 't actually died to sin, but I did feel kind of faint once see dying to sin man it's Paul when you read this text, he is ruthless, and this you know messing and flirting with sin it it doesn 't Accomplish what God wants. Romans 13, 14, instead clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. And there we have it. Paul says in Colossians 3, be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Let God continue to renew you and me. And so we go back to chapter 2, number 3 in your notes, be grateful. Verse 7c, then, then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Here here is the imagery from the Greek that Paul is talking about. There is so much gratitude in your life with the river. Let's say there's a river right here. There's so much water coming in, it overflows its banks, overflows its banks to the surrounding area. Kind of, like, kind of like this. That's not a good thing, you know, there. But that's a good picture. You know, overflowing its banks. And that's the way, as a follower of Christ, we should, see, we should be so grateful for what the Lord has done and what he's doing in our lives that with gratitude it overflows. We can't contain it. We can't put boundaries around it. A growing believer will overflow with gratitude and praise. Lord, help us be grateful, right? I mean, I'm telling you, that is one of the cool things, being able to worship, is to express your gratitude to to the Lord for what he has done and what he's doing in your life through worship. Expressing it. Alexander McLaren said, and the continual thanksgiving will ensure continuous growth in our Christian character and a constant increase in the strength and depth of our faith. Let's learn to be grateful, Life Church. Let's push the envelope on gratitude. It's our duty, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Ephesians 5.20, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then Paul says, by being grateful, your faith will grow strong in the truth you are taught. See, That's, That's adding fuel to the fire of spiritual growth and maturation is being grateful. Thanking the Lord. Putting your head, bowing your head before you eat a meal. Thank you, Lord, for this food. You provided it. Right? As simple as that. Number four, stay alert. Verse eight, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Um Paul saying Colossians, uh, you need to be on your guard. You need to be alert because there is false teaching spreading throughout your culture, and it will try and take you off your spiritual track. Paul says, Don't let anyone capture you. That that word capture. In your Bibles, man, you want to circle that because that word capture means to kidnap. It means to capture and take away as like a prisoner of war. Being led away, being captured, being kidnapped. It depicts false teachers here as men stealers. They wish to entrap you and drag you away into spiritual enslavement. That's what they want to do. I don't know about you, but I don't like this. You know? The thought of being kidnapped. And some of you might have had you know, a dream of being kidnapped. That's a terrible thought. And we don't want to be kidnapped against our will. I want to go where I want to go, not where somebody else wants to take me. Is that right? Yeah. I want to go after God. And these false teachers are... Kidnapping, they're capturing followers of Christ, and they're with false teaching. They're they're throwing a wrench into their spiritual growth, and they become fascinated. Don't let anyone capture you. Um, and so that's our responsibility. Yes, it is. Um, R.T. Kendall, theologian, eighty-seven years old. How much do you read your Bible? He asked. Christians do not have a Bible reading plan. That's a pity. Most Christians do not read their Bibles regularly. Some Christians do not read their Bibles very much at all. I am convinced that the devil will do anything to keep people from reading their Bibles. Has the devil succeeded with you? How much do you read your Bible? Once we give up the conviction that the Bible is the only infallible word of God, we open ourselves to a strange world out there that may include the Holy Spirit, but also, if not equally, the realm of the demonic. Do not be surprised. Satan masquerades as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians 11.4. The devil will work overtime to keeping Christians from reading the Bible. He would love you to close it and just wait on God. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, but to correct abuses, too many people don't know their Bibles well enough to know what the Word of God says. See, this fits in perfectly with what Paul's talking about. And what the abuses might be, the Bible is the final and ultimate revelation of truth. So, how much do you read your Bible? I urge you to get a Bible reading plan, he said. Begin today and never, never stop. The very thought that the devil does not want you to do this should galvanize every true Christian to want to fall on their knees to pray more and read the Bible more. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's where Paul's coming from, man. This this capturing, because Christians today aren't reading their Bibles, and so they're, they're gullible. They're vulnerable to loopy teaching out there. So, Stay alert from what, Paul says, empty philosophies. You know, philosophies. They sound great, but they're empty. It undermines the the character of God. So this is what I was talking about earlier to you. I read in Genesis 14 last week, Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. That jumped out at me. And I'll tell you why in a minute. God spoke. Can you wait? Okay. God spoke to Job 38, 4 through 7. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations? And who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy. Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? Job 41.11, under, everything under heaven is mine, God said, because he created it all. So the point is, Genesis, Job, what I've been realizing the last year, as you read the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, it is always there's always God created the heavens and the earth. It's in Revelation, it's in Genesis, and in between. Listen to that. God created the heavens and the earth. What is being undermined in our culture today? God didn't create it, right? There was just a big, and there it was. Or you came out of the zoo, right? (laughs) How sad is that? To be able to say, God, when you look at the authors of the Bible, they endorse the fact that God created it all. And I'm good with that, aren't you? I don't, I don't lose sleep at night thinking about it. I wonder who created it. No, I, I'm good. God, you did. And I closed my eyes. So, so that's that. High-sounding nonsense, you know. Boy, is that going around. When you start rationalizing, you know, this isn't such a bad thing that I'm doing. We rationalize and, and we think it's not a big deal. Um, when our kids were little, we had a we had a series of books and one of them was called little leopards become big leopards and big leopards kill. And um, Paul White, um, he put out a series of these books. Um, He was a missionary in Africa and he used these illustrations that in this story, a a little boy, uh, uh, the, the mother leopard was killed and the little baby leopard was on its own and The kid said, can we bring this leopard into our hut? You know, and they were warning, you know, little leopards, you know, they're dangerous, you know, blah, blah. Well, then he cried and he begged and finally they relented and he, that thing came in. Long story short, that little leopard grew up. And when it tasted blood for the first time, it killed. It killed the chief of that village after that family had been warned over and over again. And that's a good principle, friends. Little sins become big sins, and big sins kill. Right? And that's where Paul is talking about here. Man, we need to stay alert. Um, And uh, see... Spiritual powers of this world, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. What did I think about after I read this? I thought of Mordor in Lord of the Rings. I did. I did. Creepy, man. Is that creepy? Yeah. The battle of good and evil in Lord of the Rings, man. I'm gonna, And we've already determined we're going to watch that this winter, and winter's almost over, so I better get on it, right? Mordor. The spiritual powers of this world, man, when you're this human thinking, rather than from Christ, you, you, you kind of put Christ in the closet and you come out here with what the world, their philosophy, their, what the world is saying, what the, what the uh, Hollywood actors are saying. You know, They're so smart and brilliant in every one of these topics. Great theologians. Not. So, Paul's talking about these spiritual powers, man. Corey Ten Boom put it this way If the devil cannot make you bad, he will make you busy. Because by making you busy, you put your spiritual disciplines on the shelf and you become vulnerable. Weak, spiritually. And so we have a responsibility there. And he says, rather than from Christ. This, this is really demonic thinking that's crept in. You know, you dilute the water with a little bit of salt and etc. rather than from Christ. And um, I thought of the word stronghold. I had strongholds in my life, and I dealt with it. And there were times when I didn't deal with it because I was was paralyzed spiritually. I let that happen. And it got to the point where I was so tired of being a slave to the strongholds that I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, I'm bringing you these strongholds and I named them and I confessed the sin to him. I put it on the table. And those strongholds were broken, friends. And that's why I can stand in front of you with with confidence and with boldness that God is greater than anything that's trying to get a hook into your life. 1 John 2, we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Isn't that great? That is so good, man. And in Malcolm Smith, Christianity is not a formula, but the person of Jesus himself. Never think that Christianity is a matter of adjusting behavior. So we're not talking about that, but rather of letting Christ live through us in his strength and power. You want to see that stuff go away? Let, give, open the door for Christ to live in and through you and see that stuff start to fall off. Chains be broken. Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I love that. God is working in you. So it's not me trying to work it up. It's God giving the desire, the power to do what pleases him. So let God do his work. Number five, rest your eyes on Jesus. I I chose that word rest on purpose because Sometimes when we say, keep your eyes on Jesus, it's kind of like, well, I don't know if I want to do it, but rest your eyes on Jesus. Rest your eyes on him. What does that look like? If there's somebody that is endearing to you, what, what do you tend to do? You, you tend to look at them, don't you? And your heart starts to smile, Right? What are you doing? You're resting your eyes on this person because you love them so much. You just look at them and your heart smiles. And that's what Paul is talking about here, that we rest. We don't get all worked up. I got to do this. No, we rest our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We rest them. My eyes are on you, Jesus. Verses 9 and 10, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Elizabeth Elliot put it this way, New Year's Day is a good time to fix one's eyes on the only one who knows what the year is to hold. Don't stress. Don't let anxiety creep in this year. Rest your eyes on Jesus because he knows the future. He's got your life in his hands. Will you do it? Will you rest your eyes on him?